Welcome to Awaken to Grace. Today we began a brand new series called The Neighborhood. The emphasis is going to be on how to look beyond ourselves and to look around at the other people that are in our life, people that God has put there on purpose. Well, today we're going to talk about a fascinating story that happened in the Gospels. We're going to be in Luke chapter 14, and we're going to meet a man who the Bible says had dropsy, or today we would call it edema. We're going to see a man who literally was drowning, he was smothering in his own fluid, and no one in the room saw him except for Jesus. No one really even paid attention to him. He was planted there, but the Bible says that Jesus got a hold of him, and he healed him, and he changed him. Well, today we're going to talk about the importance of seeing other people around us. I hope you enjoy today's edition of Awakened Radio. We're going to begin a new series today called The Neighborhood. Now, uh, we have these neat door hangers. How many of you think these look good? I'll take your word for it. Do they look good for real? I mean, you're like proud of them. They don't look like anything you're embarrassed by. So you're willing to take these and distribute them, right? Okay, see what I did there? You fed right into it. So my little girls, uh, I have four kids. I've got Piper, who she's eight. Emmy, she's six. Hudson, he's terrible, 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 terrible twos. And John Mark's 10 months. <clears throat> so we took our kids out to our neighborhood on Wednesday. And I told my girls, I said, I'll make you a deal. I said, if you distribute 50 of these, we'll go get ices, snow cones. They're pretty excited about that. I said, if you do 90, we'll go get ices and get a toy. They were really excited about that. They said, they knew we ordered 2,500 of these. They said, what if we do all 2,500? I said, name it, whatever you want. They said, we want pets. It's fine. We have two dogs, by the way, and I don't know, other things living in our house. I don't know. And uh, I said, I said, you can have whatever you want. And so, oh, here comes the whole list. I want a pet bird. And I, want, and I said, you can have anything you want. Because I knew they, that's a bet I was willing to take, right? They're not going to get 2500 But anyways, uh, those two little girls did 92 houses. That's pretty impressive. Now, some of them, eh, don't get too excited. Some of them were condominiums. I mean, you know, they kind of, you know, that was really, but 92 for an eight-year-old and six-year-old, that's pretty good, isn't it? What can you do? You see what I did just there? I'm on it this morning. We should take up an offering or something because it is flowing to, no, I'm kidding. But seriously, take these, take them around your neighborhood. And I tell you why we're so passionate about this. We're so passionate about it because if I understand correctly, this says, knock, knock, uh, we're praying for your street. We're praying for your family. And, and I just think if I were going through a divorce right now, if I had wayward children right now, if I was diagnosed with cancer right now, what would that mean to come home and a church say, we've been praying specifically for you and your street 
that would mean the world to me. Amen? You realize how many people don't have anyone to pray for them? They don't know anyone who will really pray. I mean, like, get a hold of God. And we want to be that for our neighbors. Amen? So today, we have 2,500 of these, minus 92. We have 2,500 of these, and I would love for you to take a big stack and take them to your work, take them to your apartment complex, take them to your condominium, take them to your street, take them to your neighborhood, and help us give these out. Amen? Now, let's go to Luke chapter 14. For the next three weeks, boy, three weeks is a really quick series for us, isn't it? And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be focused on emphasizing reaching beyond us, beyond our walls, beyond our church family, beyond our immediate family, beyond really even our sphere of friends, reaching beyond what we're used to. And today we're going to be in Luke chapter 14. It's one of the most fascinating scenarios of the Gospels that I'm aware of. I I, I love all of the Gospels and there's so many rich things to pull out. I was listening to all of Luke chapter 14 and I was just like, oh Lord, there's literally weeks upon weeks upon weeks of content right here in Luke chapter 14. But for today's purpose, We're only going to be in verses 1 through 14, and we're going to see some great lessons that Jesus lays out for uh, his people. And I think if you listen closely today, there are going to be quite a number of lessons that we're going to walk away from uh, that can really implement right into our life. Today we're talking about our neighbors. Today we're talking about those who are among us. Now, that could be the neighbor on your street, or that could be the neighbor in your office, or the neighbor at your work, or the neighbor uh, that you connect with online. You know, neighbor could be just anyone that you are around and you are able to influence, all right? So we're going to talk today about what Jesus experienced when he was invited to a really fancy dinner And we're going to break this down. We're going to understand some of the context. We're going to understand some of the history behind what's going on. And then we're going to see what Jesus said to the people of that day. And we're going to see what he also says to us today. All right? So let's begin. Luke chapter 1. We're going to be in verse number 1. The first thing that I want you to take note of is that Jesus is invited to the home of a ruler of the Pharisees. Now let's understand a little bit of context. Who were the Pharisees? It's hard to really understand the Gospels if you don't have a a firm grip on who some of the players are here, who the Pharisees were, the Sadducees, and the scribes. These were three groups of people that were highly influential, not only in religious life in Israel, but in society. And we're going to see how kind of religion and Society sort of intersected in this story. And we're going to see how Jesus remarkably handled himself and and what it speaks to us in our day. Now, to help you a little bit understand Pharisees, uh, here's just a couple of facts about them. You may want to note this if you're taking notes, just so you're a little bit better student of the Bible as you study it. A Pharisee was a part of a religious group who was dedicated to preserving and protecting the law 
the Old Testament law. So understand, when Jesus came on the scene and when Jesus began to walk the earth, we're talking about a 400-year gap between the closing of the Old Testament, the beginning of the New Testament. God has been silent through his prophets and through his word. There has been 400 years of silence. And you also have to understand what's happening in the secular world at this time. The Roman Empire is literally conquering the world. And Greek culture is spreading throughout the world. So you take who are the Pharisees. This was a very conservative, very religious group that what they wanted to do was preserve the law of God in Israel. They wanted to protect against any kind of encroachment of Roman influence or Greek influence. And so they preserved and they protected. History tells us there were approximately 6,000 Pharisees in the day of Jesus. Now, what was the difference between a Pharisee and a Sadducee? One of the great differences, one of the doctrinal differences, is that a Sadducee did not believe in, the, in a literal and a physical resurrection, whereas Pharisees did. And you remember in our study of the book of Acts, when we came to Paul before the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin was like, a, it was like the Supreme Court of the, of, of the nation of Israel. And when Paul stood before the Sanhedrin, the Bible says that he perceived that there were Pharisees and Sadducees, and Paul, in an incredibly clever way, says, oh, well, what about the resurrection? And bam, they got into such a fight and absolutely forgot about Paul. Very clever. Here's a great way, here's the way that, at least in my mind, I differentiate between Sadducees and Pharisees in the, in the Gospels. Sadducees were a small group of men who were wealthy. They were aristocrats. They, their work was in the temple. And they were a small group who were wealthy, wealthy men. Whereas the Pharisees was a much larger group, but they were middle class. They were more lay people. Sadly, Jesus had nothing to say good about Sadducees or Pharisees. Because what the Pharisees particularly did, and the scribes, just so you know, scribes were sort of the underlings of the Pharisees. So you had Sadducees, Pharisees, scribes. And what the Pharisees were so bad for is they would take a law of God that was important, like the Sabbath. They would take a law that mattered to the Lord. It was the Lord God who created the Sabbath. It was the Lord God who instituted the Sabbath. He commanded the Sabbath. It was the Lord God who participated in the Sabbath and set the example. But then you took men like the Pharisees who were full of pride, wanted to be known, wanted to be seen, wanted to be self-righteous, and they took an important law like the Sabbath, they took something that mattered to the heart of God, and then they injected all of this legalism, all of this man's rules, all of this ritual, and what they did in reality, they added to the law, thus perverting the law. And Jesus called them out for it. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, he, he takes their system and he flips it upside down.
as in the case of our text today. So in verse one, Luke, who as you know is one of my favorite authors as we spent so much time in the book of Acts, Luke tells us so much detail. He helps us understand so many things that that even though we, we really only have a few verses, there's so much detail in the verses, it's as though we can really put ourselves there and we can visually see everything that's going on. So watch what he says. On a certain Sabbath, Jesus was invited to a dinner party. Now understand, this kind of dinner party wasn't like our dinner parties, right? If you and I have a dinner party, uh, Pastor Bob may invite me over for a barbecue, right? What am I going to do? I'm going to put on shorts and a t-shirt and go hang out and, and do a barbecue, or someone may invite you to come watch a game. Or someone may, you know, you may set up a play date with your kids. But, I mean, you know, it's, you know, it's just, you're going to hang out. This, <laughs> to understand the culture, to understand the context, this was not a dinner party the way you and I have a dinner party. This was something major. This is something that all society knew about. This was all eyes are on the host and on Jesus. And so he comes to this dinner party and and, and listen, if you invite me over to your home, it's because odds are we're going to get to know one another better, right? If I invite you over to my home, it's because I desire to know you better. But they didn't invite Jesus so that they could know him better. They didn't bring Jesus in and go, Jesus, explain to us how you think or where you're coming from or help us understand. No, in reality, they brought Jesus in to trap him. Notice what the text says. When he was invited to the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they watched him closely. And what's interesting is when we get it all the way down to verse 14, what we're going to see is in verse 2, there's a man here, there's a man at the party who has dropsy. Men like that were not invited to these parties. People like that didn't come to these kinds of events. He was planted there to embarrass Jesus. And so this man who the Bible says has dropsy, dropsy today we call it edema. And what is edema? It's when fluid gets trapped into the tissue of the skin. In other words, this man was drowning in excessive fluid. He was smothering in bodily fluid that was trapped in his tissues. Can you imagine how painful that disease is? And so this man, instead of being honored, instead of being a guest, instead of seated at the table, what the Pharisees did, what the lawyers did, is they brought this man in, they planted him there so that they could trap Jesus and go, all right, Jesus, you heal everybody, but it's the Sabbath, so what are you going to do? And let me tell you what Jesus does. He turns the tables. Amen? And let me tell you what I love. Jesus knew what was up, right? He knew what was happening. He didn't take any anger out on the man. He didn't show any, any uh, resentment toward the man or, or get upset with this poor man who has edema or dropsy. You know what the Bible says he did? The Bible said he took hold of him and he healed him. Amen? Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I remember when God got hold of me. Amen. 
He took hold of me and he transformed me and he changed me. And that's what God will do for you. And God don't care what other people think. God doesn't care what kind of family you come from. He don't care if your family likes you or not or if other people despise you or not. He'll take hold of you and he'll change you and he'll heal you. Amen. Jesus knew what was going on and it didn't matter to him. It didn't matter that this was a setup from the very beginning. He got a hold of him and he transformed him and he sent him on his way. Oh, I love it. I love it. And then he has something to say. Listen to what he says. I find this absolutely just fascinating. So Jesus, get, get just, if you can, put yourself in this, in this house of a ruler of the Pharisees, this ancient time where we're here in Israel and, 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 and everybody, the who is who is here. The big wigs of society, the people who have the big names. And everybody knows it. And tomorrow morning in the Jerusalem Times, it's going to be everywhere. Well, they didn't have newspapers back then, but you know what I'm talking about. Word was going to spread what happened at the dinner. And Jesus heals the man, sends him on his way. And listen what he says to the lawyers and the Pharisees. Jesus says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They just witnessed an absolute miracle. Amen? They witnessed a miracle. The Bible says they were silent. They couldn't answer. And listen to what he says. Who among you? You don't want to mess with Jesus. Who among you? I bet he pointed his finger. I bet he furrowed his brow. Sadie tells me I have a permanent wrinkle where I always furrow my brow. Most time it's because of her. But anyways, we won't go there. I'm kidding. Sort of. That's the second time I've lied in church today. Lord, help me. I repent. <laughs> But listen to what he says. Who among you, having a son or an ox, fall into a well, wouldn't rescue him immediately? Think about that. Here's this poor man who is smothering, who is drowning from edema. And Jesus says, who wouldn't take your son or your ox who's drowning in a well and not pull him out? And you know what Luke says? They had nothing to say. Now Jesus is going to go into teaching mode. And let's learn from Jesus. He then looks at the attenders of this great banquet. The attenders of this great feast, this great dinner, this high society, these big wigs, the big names. And Luke says that when Jesus noticed how they were clamoring about for the Best seats. Now, let's understand a little history here. Now, when they had dinners, they didn't use kitchen tables as you and I use today. They didn't have dining tables. They didn't sit in chairs as you and I sit. The culture of the day was actually to have a very small table close to the ground with 
almost uh, like a like cushions. There would be many, many couch, like small, many couches that you would recline on. So you would take your elbow and you would lean back upon this almost couch thing, and you would recline while you ate and talked. So really, it's more reclining than it is sitting as we do in our culture today. And so the way that this was made is a table like this would have been in a U-shape, and you would have had the host at the head, who the host was the most predominant person of the room, the host and then his two most favored guest. He would have one on his right and one on his left because these small couch type things were made to sit three. And so you would have three at the head with the most honored and then you would have three going down the sides however long it went. And I would imagine being a ruler of the Pharisees, I would imagine it was a pretty long table on both sides. And the way that the culture went of the day is this really was a system. So think of it this way. If uh, Brett Tucker was someone who was just very high up in society, and he's not, he's an Arizona, uh, he's an Arkansas Razorback fan, so that tells you a lot right there. <laughs> Suey, is that what you guys say? I don't know, whatever. Shoey, I don't know, I don't know. Anyways. If Brett, <laughs> if Brett Tucker, if Brett was really, really high up in society, this is how it would go. Brett would invite me to one of his dinners. Well, that gave me prominence. People would go, oh, did you hear? Chad was invited to Brett's dinner. Chad must be moving up in the world. What's going on with Chad? Chad is... Wow, did you hear that? If Brett so did that for me, then what was, what am I obligated to do? I'm going to throw a dinner. And guess who I'm going to invite as a guest of honor? Brett Tucker. And see how it just pays each other back. This was their society. This was culture. This is society. This is religious life. It's all mingled in together. And Jesus walks into the room. And Jesus notices how they're clamoring for the best seats. And Jesus is going to teach us something here that I want you and I to really learn today. Jesus says, when you go to a party like this, don't, don't go to the place of honor. Go to the lowest. And then if the guest says move up, then you move up. But if you go to the place of honor and he says move down, you're going to be ashamed. Now, that doesn't really apply to our culture in the way that we do things today. But let me tell you what does apply. And I think this is the heart of what Jesus is saying. Because I don't care if it's African culture, Asian culture, European culture. I don't care if it's the 1200s, the 1500s, the 1800s, or the 2000s. God's word applies, right? Now, Here's the heart of what Jesus is saying. Don't miss this. Jesus said, every person who exalts himself will be humbled. And every person who humbles himself will then be exalted. What is the point? In a moment, I want to take you to the, to the conclusion. In a moment, we're going to see the real reason why Jesus is saying all of this. But for right now, this is what I want you to understand. There are people around us like this man with edema 
like this man who is literally drowning in his own fluid. There are people around us who cannot help themselves. People who need God's grace and they need God's love. And what they need is compassion and they need concern and they need care and they need prayers and they need you and me. But if we are so consumed with us, If we are so filled with pride that life is about me, life is about my comfort, life is about my luxuries, life is about my wants and what I really want out of life, you know what? You and I are never going to see those people. Jesus was the only one in the room who helped the man with edema. Everyone else was looking for a place of honor. And could it be the same in our society today, even though we don't have U-shaped tables and we don't have these fancy things, and and even though it's not about that, could it be that you and I in this whole room today that most of us are clamoring for what we can get out of life? And we're looking to exalt ourselves. We're looking to comfort ourselves. We're looking to build ourselves up and... Therefore, we don't see the others who are around us the way Jesus did. I can't can't notice the people in my life that God wants me to touch if all I see is me. And neither can you. I remember a season in my life back around 2005 or 2006 the Lord took me down a journey where the Lord asked me, I remember this so clearly, the Lord said, Chad, you do not realize the pride that is in your life. You don't realize it. And the Lord said, if you will let me, I want to chisel some of that off of you. Will you let me? Let me tell you, friends, That was a hard season. It was a good season, but it was a hard season. This is going to sound silly to you, but let me just tell you one example of how the Lord helped me. There was one morning that I was excited about my day, and I was going to do, I guess, what I felt were some pretty important things that day. And I got up, and I walked from my garage to my car, And right as I opened my door and I was getting ready to get in, the Holy Spirit said to me, change the way you walk. The way I walk? What's wrong with the way I walk? The Holy Spirit said, change it. The Lord said, you look prideful. Right then I checked my heart. I said, Lord, I don't want pride in my heart. Is there pride? And the Lord said, it's not what I said. You look prideful. And I hate pride. Change it. Let me tell you, friends, if you will ask the Lord to shine a light on the pride that is in your life, he'll show you things that you never saw. Do you know why it's so hard for us to see pride in our life? It's because like a fish, all that fish know is wet. Right? All it knows is water. A fish is always wet. All it knows is water. And like us and our humanity, all we know is pride. Pride is why people don't come to Christ. 
Pride is why people don't do the will of God. Pride is why people don't repent from sin. Pride is why we hold on to anger. Pride is why we hold on to bitterness. Pride is why many divorces take place. Pride is why we ruin friendships. Pride is why so much of what is important in life gets tainted. Because of pride. And if we will humble ourselves and say, Lord, show me the pride that's in my life, that's in my heart, that's in my actions, that's in my responses toward people. Oh, you won't believe how the Lord showed me during that season. The Lord showed me how easily it was that I got frustrated. Far too easy. Far too easy. The Lord showed me how quick-tempered I was. How if just something didn't go my way, how upset I would get just like that. You know what it was? It was pride. And ever so slowly, the Lord just began to chisel. Get that off. Get that off. Get that off. Let the Lord do a work in your life, amen? And let him continue his work. You know what the bad thing about pride is? Is just as soon as you think you got it down, there it is. <laughs> we have to fight it. And we have to be sensitive to the Lord. And say, Lord, are there areas that I don't recognize? Are there areas that I don't see that are prideful? Now, Jesus has had something to say to the lawyers and the Pharisees. Who among you would have a son or an ox fall into a well and not rescue him? Now he's had something to say to the attenders. Humble yourselves. Whoever exalts themselves will be humbled. And whoever humbles themselves, they will be exalted. Now Jesus is going to have something to say to the host. Oh Lord, are you ready for this? Listen to what he tells the host. And this I think, I believe is what the Holy Spirit is saying to today's church, particularly to the American church. And let's get to the heart of it today, to preaching Christ church. He says to the host, when you host a feast, when you have a banquet, do not only invite your friends, your relatives, your neighbors and your rich friends. Don't just invite those because naturally some of those are going to come, naturally. But he says, don't be exclusive. Don't invite only the rich. Don't invite only your relatives. Don't invite only those who are just like you. Do you know why? Jesus said, because they have the ability to repay you. See, that goes back to the example of Brett. If Brett invites me out to dinner, well, I have the ability to invite him out to dinner. And it's just a repayment. But instead, listen to what Jesus says. Instead, when you do a feast, invite the poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind. In other words, invite those who don't have the ability to repay you back. Now, I get so excited when I read this text because let me tell you, I have been, I have been on a front row seat to those among the church in other parts of the world who are not part of the Western church, who are not part of the American church. And let me tell you, you and I live in incredibly dangerous waters. And you know what those waters are called? American influence. 
and the currents of the American influence within the church are so swift and they are so dangerous. Our beloved pastor from Egypt, when he was with us, he's come consecutive years for five years, but a few years ago, we were talking about the need for Bibles. And a couple of years ago, I took him into Lifeway. And when we went into Lifeway and went to the left and to the Bible section, do you know what pastor did? Do you know what he did? His mouth gaped open and he said, oh my. He had never seen that many Bibles. And listen, I want to get to the heart of what we're talking about in this neighborhood series. There are people in our lives, there are brothers and sisters that right now this church is connected to, that we come in here every single week and some watch online every week and we literally feast off of the word of God, don't we? We feast every single week from God's word. What a blessing that is. But are we doing it only with people who are just like us? Who look just like us? Act just like us? Are in the same stage of life just like us? Or in the same income bracket as just like us? Or are we focused on those who could never repay us? This is why we send $300 a month worth of Bibles to Pakistan every month. Amen? We send Bibles in the Urdu language, in their language. You know why? Because the people who receive them have never had a Bible in their entire lives. How many Bibles do you own? How many is in your house? And you know as well as I know, when we go to buy a Bible, oh my, what do we do? We think, well, do I want paperback, hardback, bonded leather, genuine leather, goatskin leather, lambskin, whatever it's called? Do, do I want thumb index? Do I want red letter edition? Do I want to have my name engraved in it? while so many don't even own one. In the 9 a.m. service, I talked about our work in the Middle East and how right now we have 18 church planting pastors who need a study Bible. You know how much a study Bible is in Arabic for these 18 pastors? $15 a Bible. And how many do you and I own? A family came up to me privately after the service. Said, don't, don't say our names. But they said, we're going to buy those Bibles today. Amen. Do you know what that is? Now, listen. That's one family. What if we all got a burden for people who didn't have what we have, who don't have, listen, I, and I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about like foreign lands necessarily. Hear me, or say amen if you're hearing my heart right now. Listen now, listen. There are people that you know right now who they need somebody to pray for them. And God's put you right there in their path. There are people right now who 
need to hear the gospel and they need to hear salvation and God has them right there in your path. Are you noticing them? Or do you come to church with all of us every Sunday? And we gather around the feast table. (laughs) Come on, you with me right now? We gather around the table and we open the word, which there's no Bible here, but you know what I mean. But we open scripture and, and we feast and we gorge ourselves while people around us are poor, lame, crippled, and blind. And they can't help themselves. Do you see the point, church? Do you see the point? I'm not throwing rocks today, but I'm challenging us today. Let's don't gorge ourselves on, the, on, on feasting on the word of God as we do and not turn and see the man with edema in the room. Don't come and, and, and eat and feast like you do week in and week out and not see the man with edema that you work with and not be willing to take hold of him and say, what I have, I give to you. Who's around you? Who's around you? If it's people who just look like you and are on the same social status as you, then I bet we're not reaching out the way Jesus would have us reach out. Now, I'm going to close with one last point. You may be here today and something in your heart says, I've tried that. And guess where it got me, Chad? I got burnt. I tried helping others. And guess where it got me? Nowhere. I tried serving this person or I gave up this or I helped someone in this way. And you know what I got for it? I got a slap in the face. Yeah, those things happen. But listen what Jesus would say to us today. Listen what he would say to us. When you invite into your world, into the gospel, (laughs) when you invite the poor, the lame, the crippled, and the blind, and they don't have the ability to repay you, do you know what Jesus said? God will repay you at the resurrection of the just. So you know what I think God would say to us today? Don't don't grow weary in your doing good. Keep reaching out. Keep loving people that are different from you. Keep loving people who can't repay you. Listen, my friends. There are people in your life right now, all they're waiting for is an invitation. An invitation to your home, an invitation to have coffee, an invitation to say, how can I pray for you and your family? An invitation to church. Why don't you come this Sunday and sit with me? I'll save you a seat. An invitation to the gospel. There are people right now just waiting on an invitation. 
But see, if you and I are clamoring, if you and I are so wrapped up in what makes us feel good, in what makes us comfortable, in what brings us joy, in our hobbies, in our interests, we're not going to see the man with edema standing in the room. Who's around you that all they need is an invitation? Whose life would change if you just said, God has put you on my heart. How can I pray for you? Pray with me now. God, we repent for the pride that's been in our life. We repent, Lord, for the times we've tried to exalt ourselves and care for ourselves when the man with edema stood right beside us and we couldn't even see him. We repent, Lord. We repent as a church. For times that we're so excited about us, And the angels, they don't repent over our band. Uh, they don't rejoice over our band. and They don't rejoice over our sermon series. They don't rejoice over our artwork or our projects. They don't rejoice over our attendance. They rejoice over repentance. Bring us back, God where we see the people who are poor, who are lame, who are crippled, who are blind with sin. And they're poor in spirit. We repent when we feel as though we have it all together. God, make us poor in our spirit, Lord. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. So Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask you right now with all of our heads bowed, all of our eyes closed, I'm going to ask you right now, God, begin to pop into our minds people this week you want us to reach out to. It may be family, it may be co-workers, it may be relatives, it may be fr uh, neighbors, it may be high school friends that we haven't seen in decades. It may be Facebook people. I don't know. God, would you pop into our minds right now? Put it on our hearts, Lord. Those with edema. Those who are drowning in their sin. And all they need is for God to take hold of them. As you took hold of us. Show us, Lord. Show us, show us. And Lord, we make this commitment as a church. This is not a series issue. This is not a month long issue. This is not a fall issue. We are focused, Lord, on seeing people saved, transformed, life change 
It's our mission. It's why we exist. We don't exist to come around a feast table and gorge ourselves every Sunday morning. We exist for life change. We don't preach for three points and nice little notes. We preach toward life change. Our kids' programs are not babysitting services. They're designed and they're built for life change. Our offerings do not set in coffers, building up wealth. It's built, it's meant, it's intended. It goes out for life change. It's our commitment, Lord. Life change. Why? Because you've changed our lives. Because we have tasted and seen the goodness of God. Hallelujah. So this week, let us be watchful. This week, let us be sensitive. Let let us this week find the person in our life drowning in sin. And let us give them the great invitation to Jesus Christ. In your name we pray.